Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. There's a, there's kind of a revelation I had a couple years ago when uh, I was walking. I had the honor of just being a very small, very brief support system to Pastor Samuel, Pastor Katie. They were walking through something difficult. And I remember going through this, man, I was like, gosh, the, the kind of, the kind of mutual submission I see here, just like putting each other's needs before their own and fighting for each other. I just remember thinking, God, man, I want to love Sarah that way. And uh, it was one of those moments where the, re the revelation was whether or not you go to a church where husband and wife lead as pastors together, whether or not that's the structure, you are under the covering of that marriage because the integrity, the, the, the love, the, the mutual submission of that relationship is the integrity of the, of the person. Amen? You with me? And it'd be like, you guys have a good covering. You guys have a good covering. And it's an honor. It really is an honor to be here. You guys can, you guys can sit down. Like, uh, Pastor Samuel, this is, this is the, the first, the first on a tour. That's a weird thing for me to say. I sound like I'm Tony Robbins with my, I got my mic on my ear. Um, I feel very, very important. Last week they, they called me in and, uh, there was a, a pastor who was slated to speak at San Marcos and the person got sick. And so the day before, two days before, they say, hey, could you be on a panel, just a Q&A panel about relationships with Pastor Leanne? I was like, you want, you want me to sit next to Pastor Leanne while she just like spouts wisdom and I get to just be close and associated with her wisdom. I'm there. I'm done. I'm in. Uh, I just spent the whole service just amening and trying to like, what did she just say? Say it different, but say the same thing. <laughs> it was so good. And she, uh, she made a couple of comments that really stuck with me. It's incredible when, you, when, you're, when you're dealing with somebody that much, like when you're learning from somebody that much wisdom and that much experience. It's sometimes it's the most simple things that, that come out that you're like, yeah. man, yeah. so much life went into that clarity. And, and one of the things she said, um, and she kind of paused. She, she was talking about couples who were stuck. And she kind of paused and she kind of, her tone shifted. Like she leaned in. Like she used her tone to say, catch what I'm about to say. It was just like masterful. And she said, Better is possible. And it's one of those things, it's such a simple statement. It's so easy to miss that we actually can lose that. We can lose the feeling, the tangible sense that better is possible. It's, it's something that I'm, I'm vulnerable to because I, in my work, I have a weird job. Like in my work, I get to walk with people through wilderness and walk with people through really hard seasons and see individuals and couples and families like breaking through and finding restoration. It's easy for me to forget, man, if I'm stuck... And something that feels like, if I'm stuck in a place that feels scary and hopeless and alone, yeah. man, it's easy to lose. Better can feel impossible. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that stuck with me. It's like, I hope you guys hear. Yeah. If you hear nothing else today, because honestly, Jake, that, that tithing word was so good. We could call it church right now, and that would have been worth it. Yes, it was so good. If you guys hear nothing else, just hear better is possible wherever you're at not just possible better is actually god's plan for you he wants to take you into better you guys are still asleep that's okay it's like almost noon 
I'm an interactive. I, I need to know that you guys are with me or I'm going to stop and I'm going to check in with you a lot. Thank you. And another thing she said, another thing she said is she was talking about uh, trust. And she said something I thought was so good. It's something that comes up in my work a lot. And she basically, she paused and she said, man, if you spouse, like if you want to feel spouse towards your other spouse, if you want to look at them and feel trust towards them, you have to entrust something to them. I have to give you something to trust with. Because if I don't do that, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm actually practicing I'm actually practicing distrust by not entrusting, right? And then I'm, I'm expecting, like, why won't, why don't I feel trusted? Prove to me, show me, make me feel safer. And I'm not saying the other person's off the hook. Right. If, they're, if they're behaving in a distrustworthy manner, like, that's on them, and they're responsible for that, and that's valid. But sometimes we're, we're expecting, just make me feel safer. Make me feel more trust before I take a risk. And it's something, after the surface was over, I was thinking about, I was like, man, it, a, a moment in my daughter's life, my firstborn, her name is Olivia. We call her Livy. Moment in her life when, when she was learning to ride a bicycle on two wheels. She had been doing the, the training wheels for a while. And she saw other kids in the neighborhood. She's six years old at the time. She saw other kids in the neighborhood cruising around on two wheels. And she's like, Daddy, I want to do that. I was like, okay. We just, just know, sweetie, like, if we take the training wheels off, there's no going back. Yeah. If, we, if we take the training wheels off, I'm not going to put them back on. And, and I, I don't know if I could have, I didn't explain this to her, but I, I feel good about that because there's two things in my head. I'm like, A, I know you can do it. I, I'm not going to put the training wheels back on because I know that you can ride a bike. And B, I don't want to send her the lesson. I don't want to send her the message that if you fail at something, that that means you shouldn't have taken the risk or it means you shouldn't be on that road. Do you know what I mean? Something that Awaken has given me, all the pastors across the board, is that it is okay to fail, that God calls us through failure to the next glory. It's just like a spirit of faith and courage in this place. And so she was like, yes, I'm in, I'm all about it. So I took off the wheels, we go out, we did a, a brief tutorial. And as to be fair, I can now... Um, I know in hindsight, it was probably too brief. It was very brief. <laughs> and I remember she's so excited, got on, and I'm walking with her, and she's pedaling, and she's feeling it, and I'm giving her a lot of, right, I'm giving her a lot of, a lot of stability. And then we get up to a little bit of higher space, and you, you want me to let go, sweetie? I asked her, and she said yes, just FYI, <laughs> so you guys know. And I did, and immediately, she just fell over, uh, and she got up. And she said, I'm done. And she walked into the house. She didn't even talk to me. She just like walked into the house. And so I like bring the, uh, bring the bicycle into the garage. I was like, okay, are, are you done, sweetie? Did you, wanna, did you wanna keep trying? She's like, no, I want you to put the, the training wheels back on. Oh no, I'm not putting the training wheels back on, sweetie. But she said, but, well, the thing is, I'm not gonna teach you that something went wrong. That actually is what's supposed to happen. We stumble when we get into new territory. And I was like, you can take as long as you want, but when you're ready, I'm, I'm here. I, can, I know. Sweetie, I promise, I can teach you to ride this bike. And she said, okay, well, I officially retire from cycling. I'm done with that. And she <laughs> went about her day, and she called my bluff. She, I sweat. I was like sweating a little bit because it was like a month and a half, two months. I'm not sure. It was a while. It was several weeks. But I was pretty confident just seeing the other kids in the neighborhood. It would, it would stir it up. And she came back. She's like, okay. 
I want to do it. And, and it was that process of slowly trying not to convince her, but just to let her know, honey, I can, you've got to trust me. You got, I'm going to let you go. And yes, there's going to be a couple of times you fall over. You're going to be okay. I am not going to let you get into a position where you can be seriously harmed. I'm not going to let you get into a position where you're going to be in danger. You can trust me, but you have to. I can't bring you to the promise, right? I can't bring you to the bicycle, to riding. I can't get you there if you don't trust me. And we see it every single day. In fact, there was a moment a couple, several weeks ago, because I've been going through the Bible in a year. Where are my Bible in a year, people? Oh, such a simple practice. It's so life-changing, man. I was going through it, and I was reading through Exodus, and I was, I was looking at this moment in, in Israel's story as God calls Israel out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Landmark moment, huge, huge moment. And I'm watching this thing happen, and it started to occur to me like, oh, this is exactly what we do. This is exactly what we do in our marriages. This is exactly what we do. We get optimistic. We get hopeful. We get our hopes up. And then something scares us. And we back out. Something scares us and we turn against each other. There's this moment. There's this moment in Exodus. I want you to just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like try and cover a ton because there's like so much, there's so much, um, there's so much richness in this little passage. But basically what's just happened is, is God has brought like plague after plague, miracle after miracle, showed up and demonstrated his power in Egypt to the Pharaoh, just battling against the stubborn resistance of the Pharaoh. And he gets Pharaoh to a place where he says, fine, go. And, and Israel marches out. You're going to see it in just a second. It actually describes Israel like marched out ready for battle. That, that Egypt was actually so terrified of God's power, they actually gave them like gold and armor and swords and said, please just get out, just leave because we can't, we can't stand against your God anymore. And so Israel has this like mountaintop moment where God shows up and they trust him and they leave. And like five minutes later, like probably, it's probably two to three days later, there's a moment where the newness of that has worn off. And Pharaoh says, you know, I didn't like giving up all that free labor. And he comes after them with his chariots and he comes to take them back. He comes to battle against them. And there's this moment in Exodus 13, this is verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, this is super interesting. Watch this. God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Somebody say shorter. Shorter. Though that was shorter, he didn't take them on the shorter road. Wow. He had a destination in mind. He was taking them to the, the land he promised them four or six generations ago wow. to the land of Canaan. Yeah. He's already got the, the place mapped out. And there's a direct route, and it's through Philistine country. And he knows that if I take them on the short route, this is what it says, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds. Wow and return to Egypt. If they walk out of slavery under this demonstration of my power, and then they face war, they face the Philistines, and the Philistines say, no, we're going to take you down. Immediately, they're going to lose their heart. They're going to lose that, that mountaintop, that miracle, the faith that got built up in that moment. They're going to lose it, and they're going to actually retreat. Their trust has not yet taken set. It hasn't taken resilience yet. Their trust in, that, in God is extremely fragile in this moment. And it goes on. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. God took them down the long road. He took them the long way around. Yeah. 
And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. It's really interesting. Other translations, because that's, that's kind of like, that kind of like against itself. If they see war, they'll turn around. And then two sentences later, they went up out of Egypt ready for battle. And so I was, I was comparing this to other translations. And other translations say it differently. Like the NASB says, they walked in rank like an army. The, uh, the NLT says, they walked up out of Egypt like an army ready for battle. How many of y'all know like an army ready for battle is different than an army that's been battle hardened and is ready to face the enemy? It's a different thing, isn't it? We can feel real good when God shows up. And then the day after the breakthrough, right? Like, like I, I went to church and, and Pastor Samuel just preached that fire and he had the faith for me. I didn't have the faith, but he had the faith down on the platform. And I was able to borrow his faith in that moment, right? And I was able to stand up and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I was desperate and I walked down and I got this prayer and God broke the power of fear over my life. A power that I don't have the ability to break. The power of death and the grave. God broke that because I responded. I borrowed the pastor's faith in that moment. I borrowed the person ministering. I borrowed their faith in that moment and God built me up. But then I woke up the next day and even though God broke the power of fear, I still felt fear. And then then a week later and a month later and the breakthrough is starting to break down and it doesn't feel quite as trustworthy. And you're like, "Wait, wait, oh, I thought I really meant it this time. And God is saying, nothing went wrong. Yeah. See, if, if, I, if I save you from your circumstances, that's actually the easy part for me. God's trying to tell you that the circumstances is not the thing that I'm worried about. Because I could, if, if God thought it was best for you, if God thought it was in your best interest, he could have a check in your mailbox tomorrow for the thing that's stressing you out, for the debt, for the bill, for the, you could have the job offer, you could have, you never, never have another craving ever again, right? But God knows if I take that away, you'll never be able to deal with the mindset that brought you into the bondage. You'll never address that I still think like a slave. I still think like an Egyptian slave. There was a moment a couple, a couple of years ago. I don't want to say how long ago because it's embarrassingly recent. But it was, it was a while. It wasn't in the last year. Where I had my very last cigarette. To be fair, it was the first cigarette I had in like, I don't know, like, five or 10 years, like many, many years. Because I grew up, I grew up smoking cigarettes and at about 13, I was very angry. My mom moved us away to everything I knew, all my friends, everything, I was gone. I was, I was in a new city. Uh, it's like a Silic- um, San Joaquin Valley city, which is like, if you know the valley, it's just like, you're like, oh, that's, that's messed up. You can't take me from San Diego to Tracy, California and expect me not to be bitter. It was rough. And so at 13, I'm angry, and I'm getting, I'm getting mixed up with not great supportive friends, and I just, I found nicotine, and I'm going to just tell you, it was love at first sight. I really, for 13, 14, 15, oh, it was one, he was one of my best friends. And it, to this day, it's weird, to this day, when I smell it, like, kind of cut, like, a, like, dis, like a diluted, I smell, I, there's something, it's like the file in my brain will never fully update at how bad that was. But 
A couple of years ago, I went to, a guy invited me to a pig roast, like a really traditional pig roast where they like treat the, the whole body and they like put it in the ground and they, they bury it under glowing rocks. It was so cool. And we're, we're sitting there for hours and we're just killing time. And one of my friends busted out a pack of cigarettes. He's like, you want one? I'm like, sure. And it was the first time in my life that I wasn't like managing somebody. I wasn't like, where's mom? Or where's my teacher? Or as a 15 year old, where's my girlfriend, Sarah? Is she... Uh, who's now my bride. (laughs) She's my wife. Um, It was really weird to to realize, oh, this is the first time I've ever smoked a cigarette and not felt shame about it, not felt like I had to like manage something else. And so I had the first one. And I'm just gonna be honest, I enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) And some time passed, we're hanging out, we're there a long time and I had a second one. He offered me a second one, I had a second one. And it wasn't until the second one that I'm sitting there and it like dawned on me. I can taste, I can taste it in my mouth. And because... For the first time, because my focus wasn't on the obstacle that I perceived outside of me, on the the teacher, the parent, the girlfriend that I was trying to hide from, like, ah, they they keep me from good things. Because my focus wasn't over there, I was actually paying attention to what I do. I could feel my lungs filling up with cigarette smoke, and it occurred to me for the first time, like, this is gross. This is totally disgusting. And it was, it was weird because as I'm going through that, I was like, I, this doesn't, I don't, I don't feel like guilty of sin, even though I'm not treating my body like a temple. It just occurred to me, this is, maybe sin is, maybe it's just stupid. Maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. And when you have, when you have the mindset of a slave like the, like the Israelites did coming out of Egypt, this is, what, this is what I felt like God was showing me when I was reading this, is that you perceive the authority over you and the source of your abuse as the same source. And so you distrust your covering. And you, you, you get into an unconscious, you're not even aware you're doing, an unconscious posture that the person I want to protect me, the person I want to keep me safe, I want to, I want to reassure me, that person isn't trustworthy. So I crave them and I want to protect myself from them. Are you tracking with me? Am I speaking? This doesn't apply to anybody in here, right? <laughs> That just like Leanne was saying, that trust has two meanings. We can both talk about the noun trust. I feel reassurance. I feel this confident sense that I can count on you. But we also have to talk about the verb trust, which is to end trust, which, it, which if you look at the, the root word of that, it's a Norse word. It says into, E-N, into. And the word trust is traus. It means strength. You have to, I have to put something of mine. I have to trust something into your strength. And until I do that, I actually don't feel the safety of your strength. Until I end trust, I don't feel trust. Are you with me? There was a a couple I had to intake um, a little bit ago. And I intake them as a couple, and they've both been doing work for a while. The husband had been doing sex addiction work with, a, with another therapist who's a specialist who I know, and the wife had been doing what we call partner trauma work. And they were referred to me because they were ready to do what you call the disclosure. And when there's extensive hidden behavior and there's a fear that the, per, the person who committed the offenses wouldn't be able to uh, confess everything, that the, the fear will overwhelm them, the impulse to hide will overwhelm them. And so instead of like re-traumatizing the offended party again and again as it trickles out over time, we actually say, you know what, we're going to wait to disclose everything. I know this is going to be really hard, spouse, that you don't know anything, but, but we're going to work really intensely with your partner who's, who's dealing with this addiction. We're going to work really intensely for like two weeks, three weeks maybe, 
And we're going to get him to a place where he's ready to tell you everything all at once so that we don't re-traumatize you. And they were, had reached that moment. I said, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. That's hard work to do. How long, how long ago did this start? They said, about two and a half months ago. Wait, I'm sorry. You, wife, found out that there were hidden behaviors you didn't know and still don't know about until this day, two and a half months ago. So you've been living in, a, in, the, in the anxiety of, I don't know what I don't know yet. And I met with the husband privately. He said, she knows all the categories. I just haven't been able to say it yet. It's like, okay, so we're not about to like completely blindside her. But dude, homie, yeah. two and a half months, what's going on? And he said, well, Brian, my, my therapist, he's referring to my friend. My therapist is very concerned about me. As I've been doing this work and I've been like writing out what we call a disclosure letter, my anxiety has been spiking and depression has been spiking. And, and Jeff said, I'm, I'm at threshold, meaning I'm right at the level of tolerance. And I've even been having some SI, meaning thoughts of harming myself, which obviously we take very, very seriously. And he said, so, so we actually had a date set, and then we had to back off. And then, and then we thought, uh, we, we shouldn't do it. And so we rescheduled it. And when's the next one? We haven't said it yet. Oh, my gosh, bro. Let me just encourage you to entertain the thought that the anxiety that's just off the charts and the depression that's off the charts and the suicidal ideation that's like climbing might be a, pro a byproduct of the fact that you're holding this big secret. Maybe what the, the exact thing you need is to face this thing you're terrified of telling your and experience her saying, okay, I'm angry, I'm hurt, but I choose you and just get this monster off your back. And he, what he, it's like, it's a posture we take a lot is that we get stuck in the wilderness. We, we start to put down roots in the wilderness like this guy where we start to build a house where he said, well, the idea of crossing into the promise is really terrifying, so I'm gonna wait until it doesn't scare me. The idea of going into the land of Canaan and facing the Canaanites scares me, so I'm gonna wait until, I, and, and we keep asking God, help build my faith. And God is like, I want to build your faith, but you got to build your follow. You got to build your willingness to obey me. And we, wow. we, not God, keep us in the wilderness. And that's the invitation. He said, God, I want, I want you to build my trust in you. Yeah. He said, yeah, I want you to obey me. Take a step. Maybe you don't, yeah. maybe you don't like do the thing you heard Pastor Jurgen do in the sermon. Maybe you don't dream this huge. Take a small step. Yeah. Do the basics. Yeah. Confess. Yeah. Do the basics. Like, get, get, uh, get into ministry. Get into deliverance. If you've cheated on your, you know, your income or something, like, just, just face it. Yeah. Those small integrated, they're going to feel terrifying. Yeah. But you're going to realize, man, yeah. the consequences of integrity yeah. are so much more bearable yeah. than the consequences yeah. of unintegrity, which right. is not a word. But you know what I'm saying. Okay. I was so proud of myself. I actually, I, I wrapped my message, boom, right at 30 minutes, last service. I'm not about to do that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick up, I'm gonna stay focused. I'm about to stay focused. So I wanted to give you, so God takes them, God takes them the long road, the, wrong, the long road to the promise. And it's so important that God didn't actually decide that they needed to go the long road. Their lack of trust determined that they needed to go the long road. God didn't want them to go the long road. God said, I'm going to let you stay in the wilderness as long as you need to because I'm not going to shove you into a promise that's actually going to harm you. You're going to face the Canaanites. You're going to buckle and they're going to destroy you because you aren't trusting me. I'm not going to take you there until you're ready. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's this moment 
a little bit further down in 13. By the day the Lord went ahead of them by, in a pillar of a cloud to guide them. By day, I'm going to say it over again. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Now, now this is so powerful. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night ever left its place in front of the people. And so God is saying, I, I can see your heart and I can see how fragile this relationship is to you. I can see how fragile this trust relationship is that, that every day you wake up in the desert and you're like, what have I done? Slavery was terrifying. It was painful. I felt, I didn't feel like myself. I felt degraded, but at least I knew I had a place to sleep. At least I knew I had food. I had water. And now you're out here in the desert. I don't see any food. I don't see any water. It just looks like death, even though we just, for some reason, we keep making it. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to, if you can just trust me, I will literally stay visible. I'm going to make a pillar of, cl- of cloud and a pillar of fire so that you'll be able to look up. If your heart starts beating, you can look up. He, okay, he's right there. And this is where I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay one step ahead. Yeah. I'm going to stay right in front. Because God is saying, I want you guys to know Love does not do the work for us, but it does go first. Love doesn't do the work for you because you wouldn't experience freedom. But he says, I will, I will go first. And even though you're about to turn on me again and again and again, I'm going to do the vulnerable thing. And I'm going to say, I'm still here. So there's a moment in the next chapter, chapter 14. This is why the Tony mic is dangerous for me because I get off, I get off my notes. Okay. 14 verse 10. So Pharaoh has now realized I let a really good thing go. I let my, I, I let my free labor go. And so as he approached the Israelites and there were the Egyptians marching after them, they were terrified. Some say Terrified. And cried out to the Lord, which sounds really innocent, doesn't it? They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Oh, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Is that why we're here? Which is, doesn't sound like crying out. It is. God has enough awareness of what's happening. It doesn't, because the text doesn't say, and Israel turned on God and took a very accusational, judgmental tone. It says they cried out. But what God heard, what Moses heard, was his accusation that you are not trustworthy. You just brought us out here to die. You have failed us. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. They did not say that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And what, what a moment like that shows us is because I can read that and it's super easy for me. Like, whoa, that's a bold move. When you just saw this God bring 10 plagues on Egypt and you're going to take that tone, that's bold. Yeah. Maybe stupid is a better word. I don't know. And I read that and I think, oh my gosh, I would never take that tone. And then the Lord reminds me of one of 10,000 conversations I've had with my wife where she does something that hurts or frustrates, there's an argument we've had too many times where because of my work, I miss a couple of dinners 
in the week. I, I don't get to have dinner with the family. And moments where there's a miscommunication because it's two, it's three, it's four, it changes. Moments where there's miscommunication and I get home for dinner and they're already eating dinner or already ate, I feel all the feelings. Because what I say is, are you serious? You weren't thinking, like, like you, didn't even, you didn't even think to check? And she's like, you, you didn't tell me that people canceled your schedule. This is a night where you're normally not here. And I take on this tone yeah. of accusation. And then my wife, when she hears that accusation, she's just flooded with grace. And she says, no, she's not. She says, who do you think you're talking to, buddy? And then this is, this is, this is the dance we do back and forth in a moment like that. I get home and I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And I say, are you serious? And she says, you treated me unlovingly. You, I, you're being accused of wronging me. And then she says, hey, 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 I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is your responsibility. And, and I feel invalidated and I feel like my, my pain is just pushed away. And we get into this dance, just like Israel, only in, in, the, in the Exodus story, Israel, who has this fragile pain and goes into self-protection, is in relationship with God, who knows how to take care of his heart really well and is really patient with Israel. What, what about when it's Israel and Israel? What about when it's two people trying to, trying to shed that wound? Can I trust you with my heart? And we go into this dance. And God actually builds a really simple kind of roadmap, a really simple kind of formula. If you keep reading, it says, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, that's so good, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And there's, this, there's that moment where you say, okay, what, is, what does love look like when, when we're both, when we're both in that slave pain, when we're both like, wait a second, I thought I, I trusted you with my heart. I, that, this hurts. And all I'm showing you is anger or all I'm showing you is defensiveness. And now we're in a cycle, both of us self-protecting, both of us sending arrows into the other camp. What does it look like for love to go first? And it looks like taking a posture and saying, okay, I can tell that I'm really communicating a lot of anger right now. What I don't want to show you is that behind my anger, maybe there's a deep kind of fear that I'm not important here. A deep fear that like, you're actually okay with me not being at dinner. And even as I say it out loud, maybe I'm like, that's not true. I don't believe that about you. But that's the anger. And I'm sorry for my tone, but I think I'm really just feeling like I'm missing out and I'm not important. And my wife now, instead of being accused with armor, my wife has this invitation because I'm showing her what's behind my armor. Does that make sense? Because the person... The person who shows up in vulnerability is the person who's leading the conversation. When it comes to intimacy, if the, if the outcome that you both want is connection, the person walking in vulnerability is the person leading. And it's even gotten to the place where it's a little annoying because we've had so many experiences like this. Our trust and our safety is so deep that when we get into a little tiff and we're frustrated and we're starting to do that dance, when my wife is the first one and she's like, oh, uh, okay, okay. I can feel what's happening. You know what, sweetie? I'm sorry. I can tell that I'm tired. I can tell that I'm stressed out. I'm like, dang it. 
because now you're clearly the healthier person in the moment. It's just like <laughs> so obnoxious. You're like, way to go, Dr. Brian. Good job. But God tells us, I love that language, stand firm and watch. Because when, when we're in that moment of fear, when we're in that moment of overwhelm, our brain has basically two, two options. Because when our, mo or when our brain gets overwhelmed with stress, it, it exceeds that threshold like the guy was talking about. Yeah. The part of our brain that allows our brain to integrate, that basically allows my whole brain to talk to each other, that part of my brain shuts down. It's called the corpus callosum. So we either go right or we go left. I either go into my right brain and I become deeply identified with the pain and the anger, or I go into my left brain and I try and dissociate. I try and just like block the pain out and pretend I don't care. And so with that, usually if I go right, it's the person who sounds critical, who sounds frustrated, who sounds like accusational. And they usually think, oh my gosh, why are you always angry? And if I go left, it looks like the person, like my Navy SEAL, he used to say, oh, you know what I do, Brian? As I was explaining this, I pop smoke. You're right. I never thought about that. I said, exactly. What does pop smoke mean? <laughs> he said, he said, when you're engaged in live fire, and you realize that your position isn't maintainable and you realize that you need to retreat, what you do is you throw a smoke grenade, it pops, and under the cover of smoke, you get out of there. He said, that's, that's my move, that's what I do. And every time I do that, his wife is left there saying, oh, I really don't matter. And so what we need is we need the courage to be able to say, okay, be not afraid. What is, what is the Lord telling us to do right there? He's not saying don't feel fear. The Bible will never tell you not to feel anything. Jesus came and modeled what it looks like to feel fear many times in his life. What the Bible is saying is don't be identified. Don't let the fear take the steering wheel. And now the fear writes the narrative and it tells you what's happening in the moment. It tells you what you can expect from the other person. It tells you that you're unsafe. He's saying, be not afraid. Don't identify with that fear. Stand firm and watch. Let the Lord fight the battle. And what that means is to let the Lord fight the battle, it means you let go and you take off your armor. And I try and show you, okay, I can tell that I'm pushing you away right now. I can tell that all you're hearing from me is accusation and blame. And I am so sorry. I think I'm really hurting. And I miss you. And that other partner has a space that's actually an invitation now. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I want to just pray for you guys because it just takes me back to, to Pastor Leanne's words. I think God wants us to hear that better is possible and, and better, is, better is right in front of you. Better is right here, right down at the altar if you need it. Better is tomorrow when you wake up and the anxiety is back or the frustration is back or the hopelessness is back and you're able to say, I'm not gonna be identified with that. I'm gonna stand firm and I'm gonna lean into trust because God cannot build my trust. He can't build my faith any further than my follow. Are you with me? God, we thank you so much that you meet us right here where we are. We thank you so much that even the anxiety, even the pain, even the anger are actually like a compass pointing us to understand what's happening, understand the wound and pointing us, empowering us to actually follow and trust you. God, we thank you that we do not need to spend one day in the wilderness past what we are ready to trust you to lead us out of it. God, where there is fear, I pray for courage. Where there is pain and anger, 
where there is defensiveness, Lord, I pray that you would break the spirit of fear. You would break the power of death over our lives that we do not have the power to break. And you would give us the courage. You would guide us the, the faith to take the next step. And you would lead us through the fear that you would actually help us take down the pieces of the wall so that we would never rebuild it. God, we know that your love is the only way out of the wilderness that you want. You want to lead us to the promise and it's only limited by our trust. We thank you, God. We trust in your name. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.